Good morning. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the elders here. Um, and we've got, got several, several new folks here today. So I want to just give a, a second kind of explaining um, what our, our sermon series is right now. Um, we have been over the last year or so going through the book of Acts, but we've uh, taken the last few weeks off. And so we are on week four of a four week uh, sermon series looking at how the gospel um, impacts and affects and shapes our different relationships. And so we went through the gospel and singleness. We went through the gospel and marriage. We went through the gospel and parenting. And then this week, we're going to talk about the gospel and friendship. And so those are, that's kind of where we are. Um, and at Believer's Church, um, on the second and fourth weeks of every month, we have something called Kids Connect, where the kids leave and have some more age, uh, age-specific teaching and, and community and fellowship um, where they learn to be a part of the body. But on the other weeks, they're in here with us. And so kids, where are you at? Raise your hands up tall. Mostly in the middle. All right. Fantastic. Um, so I have a question, kids. What makes a really good friend? Raise your hand up high. Eli, what do you got? Okay, being polite, maybe. Kindness, yes. Okay, Ramona. Always being together, good. Okay. Johnny. Telling the truth, great. Josie. Being nice, Marshall. Kind, so kind, nice, sticking together, things like that. Okay, I have a couple more questions. Um, here, and this is kind of a yes or no question. This one's, this one's a little easier, maybe. Does a good friend want what is best for you? What do we think? Philly, no? I think, I think yes. I think yes. Okay, uh, and then so here's my last question. You ready? What is the very best thing in the whole world for you? What is the best thing? Have an iPad. I think I've got everybody over here. Ramona. To believe in Jesus. That's a great answer. That's true. Okay, so I have a I have a quote, and I don't usually do quotes for the kids' sermon, but this guy died over a hundred years ago, and I think he said this thing really, really well. Is it up there? Here it is. It says, He is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. Right? So if a good friend wants what's best for you, and the best thing for you is Jesus, then what's the best thing a friend can do to push you nearer to Jesus, right? And so when you guys go home and you're having lunch with your family, I want you to talk to your parents and I want you to ask them about who are some of their very, very best friends and, and why? Why are they their very best friends and how do they help you? How do they help them be closer to Jesus? And how do, how do your parents help their friends be closer to Jesus? That should be a good conversation you guys could have. Okay, so we're going to switch gears, have our, our adult sermon. But kids, be ready. There may be a couple more questions or times for you to interact. So be ready. Um, so before we read the passage, I want to kind of talk about where we are. We're going to read John chapter 15, verses 1 through, or, yeah, 1 through 17. 
Um, but where this is, um, this is a really famous passage, but this is after Jesus has had his triumphant entry, um, but before, before the crucifixion. Um, so he's kind of giving his final address to the disciples. He's teaching them, kind of letting, letting them in on all these important things before he faces the cross. Um, he's let them know uh, kind of what he and the Father have planned, how this, the Holy Spirit is going to come to them. And then kind of in the middle of that, we get this, this chapter 15. Okay, so I have a I have a special guest who's going to come up and read the passage for me. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Thank you, Zaley. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the gift that it is to us that we can know you and that we can know um, who you are, um, how you have intervened into this world and into our lives. Um, I pray that today uh, the power of your word and the power of your spirit would, would impact us today, that it would shape us and conform us more and more to the image of your son. Um, I pray that, um, that your word would speak um, and that um, it would shape our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so first of all, uh, the main part of this passage that I want to focus on is, is actually the, this, the last part, 12 through 17. Um, but the first part, verses 1 through 11, are really, really important, um, and I'm just going to say I am not going to do justice to the amount of time that deserves to be spent on those 11 verses, but what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to get at comes from the second part. So uh, we're going to kind of summarize verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to focus in on 12 through 17. And so um, verses 1 through 11, really common uh, passage where we see about uh, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Um, the Father is the vine dresser. And so we get this, this idea of, of relationship and, and growing and things like that. And, and as it goes through, we see different things about what happens if we don't abide in Christ, and we see what happens if we do abide in Christ. And so uh, 
some things it lists. If we're not abiding in Christ, we see that um, there is no fruit. Um, we, we wither. Um, we can be pruned, which kind of implies like part of, part of the plant is cut off. So there's like pain and removal, but that leaves space for more growth and fruit. So that's still painful, even if it has the potential for good, and burned. So if we're not abiding, verses 1 through 11, we see uh, we're not fruitful, we wither, we can be pruned, and we can be uh, piled up and burned. So here we go. Kids, real quick, does that sound good or bad? Those are bad things. Thank you, children. All right. Um, next, if we are abiding in Christ, um, what things does it, does it say is true about us? Well, we, we do produce fruit. Um, it says that whatever we ask, the Father will give to us. It says that if we, if we bear fruit, if we abide, we are proving to be Jesus' disciples. It says that if we abide, uh, the Father is glorified in that. If we abide, uh, Jesus has joy in us, and our joy is made full. So does that sound good or bad? That sounds good. So uh, abide, good, not abide, bad. It's kind of the really overly short, overly simplistic run-through of verses 1 through 11. And so it seems pretty important that we abide in Jesus. So how do we do that? Are there any instructions in that passage that tell us how to abide? Well, yes, turns out. It says, Jesus says himself, that we can abide if we keep his commands. Uh, and I, I feel like for me, or like maybe us as like reformed church, like we kind of bristle a little bit when it's like, how do you show that you love Jesus? You keep his commands. That's uh it's like, Jesus, don't you know that that sounds a little legalistic if you're just saying, like, keep the commands? Um, and I think if you, if you detach that statement from, from love, it, it can be that way, right? So if, if Jesus was just giving a list of things and saying, like, you do these things, boom, 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 and you can check them off the box, then yeah, yeah that's, that's a little, bit, a little bit legalistic. But Jesus' commands are so rooted in love and care for, for him and for others that um, that's, that's not the case. So kind of to frame that in a different way, um, to abide, we need to keep his commands. Uh, and I think if we think about it on the flip side of that, we would all agree with that. We can't very well abide if we don't want to do the things Jesus is asking us to do. Right? If I'm always pushing against what Jesus wants me to do, and I'm, I'm resisting his commands, and I'm, I'm going away from his commands, I don't think there's an argument to be made there that you are abiding in him. Right? If, I'm, if I'm trying to go away from what he has for me and what he says is best for me, there's no, I'm, not, I'm not abiding. Uh, and I would say even, even to take things one step farther, um, as a church, we in the last year, we've kind of been trying to uh, we've talked a lot about gospel culture and how um, the, the truths of the gospel, how do we apply those practically in our lives? How do we live out the gospel? Not just believe right things, but, but have our actions and our conduct be in line with that. And I would say that uh, this, this idea is, is one and the same. Uh, we, don't, we don't just want to believe something. Like, we just want to believe Jesus' commands, and we don't just want to think that those are good things. We want to have our life and our conduct match 
match those commands and match those beliefs. Um, and so if we think of Jesus saying keep commands like a robotic checklist of things to do, it sounds legalistic, but um, if we think uh, of Jesus as a person who lived a life in perfect harmony with the Father and in perfect harmony and union with his will and his commands, um, and we think uh, we want to have our, li- our lives match that, uh, then it's a different, it's a different thing. Um, it is not uh, burdensome. It is not uh, duty, but joy and love. And, and we see Jesus uh, joyfully obeying the Father and the Father being uh, joyful and, and proud of his Son in that as he walked in obedience. And that's, and that's what we are called to do, too. Uh, so that's, that's my rundown of 1 through 11. At short, you could preach for a year on those 11 verses, but we don't have the time. So here we go. So now we, we, we turn. So that's all about how we can abide in Jesus. As, as an individual, like, we need to trust in Jesus. And so we do that. And then Jesus shifts gears. And in verse 12, we get, we get this statement. We have, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's kind of changing and he's saying, okay, this is how uh, you love me and how I love you. Now we're going to talk about how you love one another. And that's where gospel friendship is going to, is going to come into play. So in verse 12, we have, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And then if we kind of skip down, we skip 13, 14, 15, 16, and we go all the way down to verse 17, he, he wraps that paragraph up with, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So he's got, we have bookends. And the structure of this, I think, is really helpful for understanding what, what Jesus is communicating and how we can apply it to our lives. He starts with, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And he ends with, these things I commanded you so that you'll love one another. And so you would think all those four verses in the middle are all going to be about how you should interact with another person, right? I'm going to tell you these things. This is how you love one another. And then he ends it with, I told you these things so that you'll love one another. But in the middle, it never talks about our relationship with another like brother or sister in Christ. All four of those verses go back to our relationship with Christ. And that's huge for where we're going with this. Okay, so how do we love one another? He's going to say, like, this is how you love one another. And then he's going to talk about our relationship with him. And then he ends it with, now that's how you're supposed to love one another. And so that's, that's where we're going to focus. So um, in verse 12, um, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. So um, we don't usually get the grown-ups involved in the hand-raising and question-asking, but I'm going to do it. What are some ways that Jesus loved his disciples? So remember, he's with them. They spent years together. You can raise your hand. Be brave. Be brave, grown-ups. The kids do it all the time. What is one way that Jesus loved his disciples? He was patient, patient through their fumbling and bumbling and unbelief and all those other things. Good. What else? He fed them. Yeah, he did. He served them. He washed their feet, which actually that's like right before this. Like this is like the same gathering that he washed their feet. Yeah. Anything else? You can do it, grown-ups. 
He healed them and their relatives. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we, see, we see a lot of ways. And we could, we could spend a long time listing ways that Jesus loved them. So um, some of those things we can do, some of those things we cannot do. Uh, but we can, we can uh, kind of think about the motivation behind those things. So he did a whole lot of things for them. He, he was patient with them. He, he healed them. He cared for them. He loved them. He fed them. He, he taught them. He rebuked them. He encouraged them. He challenged them. He sent them out. Very complex, right, relationship dynamics between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, going down, verse 13, he says, Greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Uh, I think a little bit Jesus is kind of saying the same thing, like, hey, think about how I'm doing it, because although he hasn't yet laid down his life for his friends, that's just, that's just days away. Right? That is just days away he's going to die for these people. So he's, he's telling them a message, knowing what's coming down the road, and he's saying, like, again, do it like I've done it. Um, but also I think we can take away from that in kind of a, a simpler context, like sacrificial love, like, like loving your friends even when it costs something. Um, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you, which I think uh, it's like uh, children. My, my children were fighting this morning. <laughs> I think sometimes like, like little kids, it's like, if you don't do what I say and you don't play the game I play the way I want to play it, then you're not my friend. And that is not what that passage is saying, just to be clear. Um, uh, but we are Jesus's friends if, if we do what he commands. And, and he said that up in, in the first part as well. Um, you know, we talked about that just a little bit, but our, uh, our, goal is, uh, our goal in loving one another should be to encourage one another to also follow Jesus's commands. Like if I'm a friend of Jesus by abiding in him, right, and bearing much fruit, and, and I am, I'm growing in, in relation with in relationship with him, uh, in community with him, then, and I'm encouraging my friend to do that as well. We are growing together. We're growing in unity. We're growing in common goals, in common direction, in, in commonality, and in grace with one another. And so I think, um, like encouraging each other to follow Jesus's commands, uh, will bring us together. I think it also applies, um, uh, that work is involved in both sides of a friendship, Right? So Jesus, all-powerful, he did not need anything from anybody. He didn't need anything from the disciples, right? But that didn't stop him from, from asking them to do things, right? He, this, this friendship, this relationship they have is, is, uh, goes both directions, okay? He does things for them. He loves them. He serves them. But also, he's showing them, like, hey, you can love me by, by serving me. You can do these things. And so he's... Uh, He's requiring things of them as well. Like they, uh, they prepared this Passover feast. They were involved in his miracles. They, uh, he sent them out um, in groups to share the gospel. Um, he didn't need them to do those things, but, uh, but he did, you know? And so um, as friends, we ask others to do, other th do things for each other. And it's, I think it's good to uh, listen to those things and, and care for each other in that way. Verse 15 and this one is, is, was thought-provoking for me. I really like this verse. Uh, verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And so this kind of implies that like, the more you know 
um, about a person, the closer you are in a relationship, which makes sense. Like a barometer of a friendship is kind of like knowledge. Like if somebody doesn't know something, like you hear something's going on with somebody, you, you ask someone they know well. And if they don't know, you ask like a friend that's maybe a little better to them. And so usually uh, knowledge uh, of a person um, can be a barometer of like how, how deep your friendship is. Um, but it's not just like information knowledge. So like you can know a lot about a person and not be their friend, right? Um, like uh, an athlete or a celebrity, like you could know facts about a person that doesn't make you their friend. You might be their fan or like some crazy stalker person or something like that. Uh, but part of like knowledge is like experiential knowledge, right? Like I don't just know about a person. I know that person. They have, they have, uh, I know facts about them, but I also have experienced them as a person. And so I know them in that way. And Jesus not only told uh, them about himself, but he helped them understand it. He was, he was patient with them. He, he showed them. He didn't just show them the scriptures. He, he taught them the scriptures. He lived out the scriptures among them, um, and he served them. Uh, and we, we kind of get a picture of that with like the Pharisees knew all about the Messiah. They could have listed the facts about what the Messiah was going to do but they missed him because they did not know him. Um, and we see in other parts of the Bible as well that Jesus, uh, or that, that scripture connects the idea of friendship and knowledge. Uh, verse, uh, Psalm chapter 25, verse 14 says, uh, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. And so like there's an idea of, of knowledge and uh, connection there. With, uh, with the Lord. Uh, Jesus is our friend, and he makes, he makes his plans known to us through, through Scripture and through uh, the preaching of his word. Okay, so I have something to confess here. Prior to preaching, prior to preparing for this sermon, if someone had asked me to make a list of, of things and said, uh, okay, so you get to fill in the blank with as many, as many true things to complete this statement as possible. Jesus is my blank. Right? And so if I had, and they said, like, go, as many things as you can. Jesus is my blank. I'm going to be real honest. Friend would not have been in the top 10. And in fact, maybe even like given time, maybe unlimited time, but, you know, a reasonable amount of time, if I made a long list of things, friend would not have been maybe one I would have thought of. I would have, you know, you come up with savior, redeemer, creator, uh, example, um, all sorts of different things, but friend wouldn't have been up there. And I, I there's a lot of reasons why, um, and, and I think like, I, I believe in my, in my mind um, that I would have no problem saying, like, Jesus is near. That might have been when I came up. You know, like, Jesus is close. He is near. He cares for me. Um, he loves me. Uh, but for some reason, there's just a little uh, resistance to me saying friend. And I don't know if that uh, is because I feel like it was irreverent or strange. I don't know. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just sharing. This is me. A little... Uh, journey through my brain. Um, and I think part of that is like in, in a reformed church like ours, like I think we want, we have this, you know, doctrine is really important. We have this really high view of God. God is, 
God is mighty. He is, he is the creator. He is, he is Lord of all. He is sovereign over all things. Um, and, and so it's just like, like friend just is, is hard. It's hard for me, you know, and even uh, maybe it feels hokey sometimes. But like the Bible says, he is my friend. And so the problem is not with the phrase, Jesus is my friend. The problem is with me, right? If the Bible says this is true, then, and I have trouble with that. The problem is not with the, the phrase, it's, it's with me. Um, and I think part of the reason why I think that is uh, I'm comfortable with saying Jesus is near, because that's kind of ambiguous, I'm comfortable with saying Jesus cares for me because that's kind of vague. Uh, and those things are true. He is, he is near. He does care for me uh, and other attributes of a friend. But I can keep those things very, like, theoretical, right? They, those can be out there, um, kind of unapplied doctrine things. I feel good about that. Like, I know these things are true about Jesus, but that, what does that mean? But friend is like, for me, friend is like tangible. Friend is like, you're right there in front of me. When things, like, you are close. Uh, I, need, I need my friends every day. I rely on my friends. And, uh, and so like that, that's been convicting for me. Like, why, why don't I feel that same way? Um, as, I've, as I've reflected on that, it's, it's been good. It's been really good for me. Um, my natural drift is uh, in my theology is to drift towards like the inner intellectual procedural and away from like care and like emotion and heart. And so uh, that's been a good, a good stretch for me. Um, so this is kind of what part of what I've, I thought through. Um, so God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And there's a whole lot of reasons why that's important. Um, but one of those is that he wanted to call us friends. And my guess would be that like James and John and the other disciples would not have had the same problem that I have calling Jesus friend. He was their friend. They were with him. They went to parties together. They laughed together. They cried together. They traveled together. Um, they did things together. And so they were his friend. And so I think like where, I, where my disconnect is, it's like I almost act like if only Jesus were alive today so that I could be friends with him too, right? But the problem is he, he is alive today. Uh, and so when I struggle with, with that, that intimacy and saying that Jesus is my friend, I think I'm like almost putting air quotes around like uh, Jesus, is al Jesus is alive today. It's like almost how I'm functionally acting. Like he's alive, but in a different, some sort of different way. But like, no, that's not true. Jesus is not kind of alive or alive in some different strange way. Jesus is actually alive, fully present, and Jesus is my friend. And so like that is, that is where I need to change, change my application of, of the gospel in this and like, like press into that distance sometimes. And maybe, maybe you need to do that too. Uh, so let's jump back out of the rabbit trail that we chased in my brain. Um, but verse 16 says, um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Uh, Jesus is in charge, uh, not you. He, he is for your good. He wants you to be fruitful. Uh, the fruit and fruitfulness should abide, meaning like that fruit should be in line with his, with his commands, in line with his character. And so uh, the idea behind this verse is like we are being transformed 
and our actions and emotions are being sanctified and grown more and more into the image of Christ so that this internal change is going to produce other change that, that whatever we, we ask the Father, because our, our hearts are being changed to be in line with what the Father wants so that when we ask, um, he, will, he will grant that to us. Um, change of heart, change of desire. Um, and that, that really, again, kind of connects to the verses 1 through 11, the vine and the branches. And so we see, down in verse 17 again, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So we have love one another, and then a whole bunch of this is how Jesus loves you and how you love Jesus in the middle. And so I think the, the natural takeaway from that is the best way to love one another and how we are called to love one another is first to love Jesus, to abide in him, and then apply those same ideas uh, to the people around us. Um, I have another quote uh, that I thought was really good. Uh, this is by Thomas Brooks, um, a Puritan guy. Um, and he said, let those be thy choicest companions who have made Christ their chief companion. Let those be thy choicest companions who have made Christ their chief companion. So like uh, the friends you desire the most should be the people who desire Christ the most above all. Uh, Okay, application. So I'm going to try and give us some some tangible things that we can do um, for gospel friendship. Uh, So I have kind of three three things. Gospel friendship is empowered by Christ. We we cannot do it apart from him. Gospel friendship is empowered by Christ. And we see that in throughout this passage. We're the the vine and he's the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We know that. Um, And we are are sinners. We get things wrong. Our friends are sinners. They get things wrong. Um, We need Jesus to show love, peace, patience, goodness, uh, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We need Jesus. We need the Spirit in order to do those things to one another, for one another. We need sin, or we need, we need love to cover a multitude of sins. Uh, we cannot do this well apart from Christ. By our own strength, we can't have our own lives together. So why in the world would we think we could have relationship and community together by ourselves? That doesn't make sense. Um, we need the transformative power of the gospel to have the capacity for gospel relationships to go well. Um, and so that, that means a couple things. I mean, it's not that non-Christians can't have friends, but their, their friendship is not, is not gospel friendship. It's, it's not the kind of friendship that is, is kingdom-focused and, and fulfills you for the purpose for which you were created um, and is as life-giving as gospel friendship can be. Um, so apart from Christ, we cannot do this well. Uh, but with Christ... Um, he has given us his spirit. He has empowered us to be representatives on earth. He has empowered us to, to bring the kingdom uh, to bear on the earth around us. And so that means he will reconcile all things to himself. So um, by the power of Christ, our friendships and our relationships, um, between two believers, there is no division that Christ can't reconcile at all. And so... Uh, 
if there's a barrier between you and another believer, it's not Christ holding that barrier up. It's, it's uh, the sin and the people in that relationship. Um, so have hope. Walk in hope. He will reconcile all things to himself. Period. So live in that promise. Ask for forgiveness or forgive or forbear with, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Try not to be, uh, we should not try to be known for having it all together and having perfect friendships as a church, right? We should be known and our church should be marked by striving to be known by one another and having friendships that are marked by vulnerability, repentance, and reconciliation. So it's not that we're not going to make each other mad. It's not that we're not going to ruffle each other's feathers or, or be abrasive. It's that we are going to be vulnerable, repentant, and, and seek to be reconciled with one another. And that is different than anything that this world uh, can offer on its own. So our gospel friendship is empowered by Christ. We need his power to work it out. Uh, two, gospel friendship is modeled by Christ. He has perfectly shown us how it should be done. The power of Christ gives us the capacity and the ability to have meaningful, resilient, Christ-honoring friendship. But we also need to know how to do that. And so he's given us... Uh, himself as an example. He loved, he served, he fed, he taught, he rebuked, he challenged, he sent people out. Uh, his relationship was diverse. Uh, it was challenging, uh, but it was full of care and love. Uh, this is a hard thing for us to love people like Jesus loved. Like that is an, uh, that's like uh, husbands loved your wives as Christ loved the church. Like that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Uh, but it is a noble thing to strive for. So just kind of uh, boiling that down to a couple bite-sized pieces. Um, we, we, tend to, uh, we tend towards imbalance, like in our flesh, like we, we go towards what e what's easy or, or what we're comfortable with or whatever. But some, th some things that I think should mark a gospel friendship um, would be um, like comfort or, or knowledge. Um, so a friend, a gospel-centered friendship should be authentic, safe, genuine. Like you should be able to be vulnerable. You should be able to open yourself up. You should also be, be open to hearing from other people and, and be trustworthy with, with, their, with their hurt. Um, and like safe, where it's like just, it's easy to be together because we love each other so much. Um, Few relationships start here, but the good ones are all, always get there. Um, care and service, um, being willing to, to serve one another, to sacrifice for one another, giving to one another, hosting um, your friends, sharing meals, watching each other's kids, loaning tools or books, or uh, being able to share hurt with one another, crying with one another, um, giving time and emotion when you don't feel like it. Um, being able to just like, like give up um, some of yourself for the betterment of this person you care about. Jesus did that often. Um, challenge, pushing each other to be better. Um, so not just, not just comfort, not just service, 
but also like challenge. We want each other to, to be better, to be more Christ-like, to be better men or women, to be better followers of Jesus, to be better husbands and wives, to be uh, better uh, parents, to, to love Jesus more, to, um, to work out um, our salvation with fear and trembling, um, healthier, wiser, better stewards of our money, just like, like caring for one another holistically. Like we want to be people who do that uh, well. And I think this is, this is important. So there's a lot of good things about friendship, but one thing that's really important is this is mutual. Okay. This is mutual. This goes, has to go both ways. It cannot be one-sided. Think about a friendship where one person is always pushing, right? If there's not any pushback, that's not a friendship. You're like someone's boss, right? If you're like, do this, do this, do this. That can't be the case. If there's always one person who is listening, right? That's like a counseling session. That's not a, that's not a friendship. It has to, has to go both ways. You have to hear and you have to share. Okay, service, same thing. If there's always one person who is the one serving, 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 serving. Uh, and so like, think about your, your friendships and your relationships. Are those, are those balanced? Are they, are they in harmony? Do you have all the different things where you're caring for each other holistically, but also like, um, is it lopsided? And so that could, that could look a couple different ways. That could be like, oh yeah, this friend of mine, like they always have me over and they always care for me in this way. And they listen to me a lot. And, but I don't, I don't really do much for them. So maybe, maybe I should step out more and I should like, you know, put, be a little more uncomfortable and, and serve them and love them and ask them how they're doing and uh, have them over and things like that. Um, or it could be, you need to be a good friend and, and challenge your friend a little bit and say like, Hey, it'd be nice if you had me over sometimes or could, could I share? Cause I've got some stuff I'm going through and I really need, I really need to talk to you about what I've got going on. That might be hard, but that's a good challenge. And that's what a good friend would do. Right. Um, and I think those things are, are wrapped up pretty well in the gospel culture things that we've been trying to share. So neediness, humility, vulnerability, honor, hospitality, kindness, generosity. Those are the sermons that we, that we went through last year. Um, and those aren't just random things we picked out. Those are, those are things that we uh, as elders uh, saw Jesus doing consistently and encouraging people to do consistently within the Christian community. And so uh, that is what Jesus exemplified, and that's what we should do. And then our last, our last application point is um, gospel friendship should be directed toward Christ. We should be uh, drawing nearer to him is the mutual end goal, and glorifying him is the mutual end goal. We're not talking about friendship for the sake of friendship. Um, we're talking about friendship for the glory of Christ. Um, I don't want us to walk out of here thinking like, if I do these things, then my friendship will be better. The end. Um, we can't do it, remember? Empowered by Christ. Exemplified by Christ. Directed toward Christ. Um, and so the, the purpose of our friendship should be to bring glory to Christ and to grow together. So, uh, all right, kids, I need you guys here because I'm going to look like a fool if you don't help me out. All right? I'm going to try this. Okay. Catechism, song. I'm going to sing in front of everyone. I think I did this one other time. I don't know. I don't...
I don't know why I do this. Uh, okay, here we go. How and why did God create us? Yay, somebody's saying. Great, thank you, children. All right, so if you couldn't hear it, God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him, right? So how did he create us? He created us male and female in his own image. Why did he create us? To glorify him. Another way, grown-ups, here we go. This is your chance. You don't have to sing, okay? But if you know it, this is a different catechism question. Uh, what is the chief aim of man? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, so if that's our end goal, right? That's why God created us, to glorify him. The chief, in, the chief aim of man, uh, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then, then shouldn't the purpose of our friendship be in line with that goal, right? Um, so it's not good for man to be alone. He gave us community. Not so that we wouldn't be alone or lonely, but so that through relationships, we could magnify our capacity to give him glory. God has ordained Christian community as the place where we put into practice the social norms of the kingdom of heaven. We practice those things with one another for our good, for the good of other believers, to bring new people in, but most importantly, to glorify God. It is when we show neediness, humility, vulnerability, honor, hospitality, kindness, generosity, etc. When we show those things with the mindset of loving others as Christ has loved us. And through friendship, that that, that act is no longer burdensome. It's, it's freeing. These ideas of of giving up ourselves for the good of another, when those things are freeing and life-giving, it is then that we most clearly demonstrate the kingdom coming here as it is in heaven. Okay, and so, so living that out as Christian community. So our, our three things before uh, Caleb comes up and does the Lord's Supper, um, gospel friendship has to be empowered by Christ. We cannot do it on our own strength. It is exemplified by Christ. He did it best. We should copy the way he did it. Third, um, it should be directed toward Christ. And I think you'll find the best friends that you have, the best Christian community that you have, the people who have, who have made you grow the most, who you love the most because they push you the most. Um, it's because they are, are guiding you to Christ. You are walking together toward Christ, uh, for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that, uh, that we have your word, and I thank you that, that your ways are best. Um, left to our own uh, devices, Lord, and our own abilities, we would, we would self-destruct, Father, and we would, we would destroy one another. Um, but thank you that by your grace you have made a way for us to be in right relationship with you and to be adopted as your children um, and co-heirs with Christ. I thank you for that, Father, and I thank you that you have ordained community and friendship um, as a means uh, to grow us more and more into Christ and to glorify you more. 
Father. I pray that you would help us to apply this truth rightly to our lives uh, for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.